0: So our passage this morning uh, that Albert will preach from is uh, coming from Daniel, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8 and going until verse 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink for why should I, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were, who are of your own age? so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables.
1: Uh, These are the lines that Linda and I uh, tried to perfect with two-year-old Christopher. That's him at our old church. And he was playing uh, the role of sheep in the Christmas play. Uh, And his role was just simply to time that (laughs) ba perfectly uh, and to just know his role, his place in the story. And so as much as a two-year-old could understand, I gave him the inspirational talk, you go and be the best little sheep that you can be, Christopher. And so he found his place in the story and played his role perfectly until he wandered off the stage. Uh, as I joked with other parents afterwards, I said, that's what sheep do. They wander off, you know? And he was method acting, right? what a thespian genius and prodigy. (laughs) Now, I start that way just to get us to now think more uh, seriously about our own lives, just now as adults, young adults, um, wherever we're at, we're in our life. Uh, Where's my place in the story? I'm going to just first pose that broadly, vaguely, you know, just as you think of life and where are you at in your story. But of course, We want to hear, and we're gathered here explicitly this morning because we worship God, the Father, Son, and Spirit of of Scripture and uh, whose Son is Jesus. Where's my place in God's gospel story? It's something we should continually be thinking about, especially as Christ followers. And the invitation is there for our friends who haven't placed faith in Jesus yet to think about that. Now to remind you, and I, you know, more I think about this, I, I think this is a universal truth because God has really woven this um, experience, this making this life into life. And it's called the story arc. And through history, just people who study stories and literature, they, they see this theme, this just constantly recurring theme in life and in stories. And it's called the story arc. And basically, export a bit. You always start with your status quo, just how things are at at the present. Uh, but then life progresses, and there's rising tension through different incidents, through conflicts, and, and wondering what's going to happen until you get to, usually in the middle of the story, the climax, where it all sort of comes together, and now it's like you're standing at the edge of a cliff and you're looking for resolution. And so hopefully that resolution does come in. a good story always has that resolution, one of the most famous ones, and they lived happily ever after, right? But this idea of a story arc is true, not just for fiction, uh, but in real life. This is how life works. Life is a story that way. And so for the Christian, between the climax, as we see the world for us, the climax, I think, is Jesus coming to earth, being crucified, and then being resurrected. That's the climax from a gospel story perspective. And we're waiting for Christ to return again and to consummate his kingdom. And so in between the climax and the resolution, I think what Peter would have us understand and Daniel is that really one major attitude that we're supposed to carry until the end is be holy as God is holy. That, that, that's a non-optional major theme and posture heart attitude that the church and christians are meant to have to keep pressing into that what does that mean and so as we have the mindset of those in exile those who are passing through that earth is not our true home we're awaiting as the writer of Hebrews says for better country just as the saints of old were longing for a better country a heavenly one uh, as they describe The writer of Hebrews describes Abraham longing for the city whose foundations are set by God himself, eternal foundations, whose architect is God himself. And as we see in Revelation, the new Jerusalem, the new creation. And so as we await resolution, we need to find our place in this part of the story. And that by God's grace in Christ, that overflowing through us would be a holiness just as God is holy. And so I want you to imagine uh, an umbrella with spokes and the umbrella of God's character tried to convince you last week, get to boil down who God is. It's his holiness. That's the most important umbrella attribute of God. And then from there, the spokes are his love, his justice and on and on and on. So similarly, for you and I as well, when we think of our character, think of your character as an umbrella. As the Christ follower, you're meant to first have an umbrella of holiness. And that's supposed to be the big picture theme of our lives, to keep pursuing holiness as God is holy. And then the spokes would be our family life, our friendships, our relationships, our conduct, our work, our rest, and, and just uh, whatever you know, morality and character. Um, those would all be the spokes, and it's supposed to flow from this pursuit of holiness. And so, again, uh, the, the prayer today that I hope will stir up in your heart as sort of a big picture summary of, of the message today is the same as last week, because I want to show you that Daniel understood about 500 years before Peter, what Peter is trying to teach the church um, some 2,000 years ago, and still today to you and me as the church and it would be lord help me be holy as you are holy and certainly we need his help we need his grace we need his undeserved kind help in this because even as god sees us and declares us has set us apart in identity as holy he sees us as perfectly righteous in christ and yet we're working towards that and we stumble and fall even on our best days towards that holiness so lord help me And so I want to ask for the rest of our time together, what can we learn from Daniel about God's call to his people to holiness, especially uh, in the context of being in exile? And so Daniel was literally a political exile, living in exile. But more importantly, I'm pretty confident um, when we see Daniel uh, in eternity, uh, he would agree with this thought, this thought, this, this statement that beyond physical, literal, geographical exile, Uh, Daniel understood what Peter meant, that he was in spiritual exile, and he was trying to figure out how to be a Yahweh-worshipping soul and to preserve that, to protect that, even as he lived in an enemy foreign um, land. And so um, I want you to uh, be able to see with me. I'm going to draw out about six things about what it means, what what, what we're to learn from Daniel about God's call to holiness. So let's start going through these. First, the pursuit of holiness is unchanging. And if you're not convinced yet, I I hope you can be convinced in this moment, the pursuit of holiness is not optional. It it is necessary for the Christ follower. Why? Because God hasn't changed. I, I hope you find some wonder in this because I certainly did as I reflected on it during the week in preparation for the sermon. God, who is God of Daniel, some around 2,500 years ago, is still the same God today. Even beyond that, the, the God that Daniel based his holiness upon, meaning the Mosaic law and God's call to Israel, So meaning the God of Moses is the same God of Daniel, the same God of Peter who picks up on this unchanging theme of pursuing holiness. And so the same God who helped Daniel to be holy as God is holy is the same God still today. And you can be comforted, be strengthened that he is for you in Christ. And he will help you live out faithfully as Daniel did. God hasn't changed. The God of Daniel is our God today. And he is still holy. And he commands his people to be holy as he is holy. So Daniel understood what Peter meant by, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And so here we see an example of just God There's a unity to even the law he gave through Moses and that this still applies to Christians today in Christ, New Testament Christians. God hasn't changed. His call is unchanging. Next, the pursuit of holiness needs resolvedness. Resolvedness. And so where do we see Daniel's holiness? First, um, says a quick aside proverbs twenty seven two advises uh, don't praise yourself, let someone else do it. Um, daniel was written by uh, Daniel as far as we know, uh, and so I want you to first see before you think that daniel is is self boasting I want you to see that uh, someone around Daniel recognized his faithful holy witness, and so we looked at Ezekiel, who was a contemporary of Daniel uh, and another major prophet um, And we see his prophecy in Scripture. And he says, now the the context isn't so much important. I just want you to appreciate the bolded part here. And the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, when I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men. And so Ezekiel acknowledges in the presence of God's people and before God, As a true prophet, so meaning God is acknowledging these three men as well, even if these three men, just a dream team of holiness, if you will, Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if these three men were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. Again, I want you to just catch the fact that these men are considered, just recorded as people who live the holy life, that God called them to. They weren't perfect, but in all, at the end, that they lived the holy life that God called them to. And so we're, we're to learn from Daniel about his resolvedness. As we pick up in verse 8, this is autobiographical. This is Daniel, because he wrote it, he's, he's, so it's autobiography, and he gives us a window into his heart. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. And so first I I want you to see that Daniel did care about holiness because why he did not want to defile himself. In the Bible, uh, the opposite of holy is to be defiled, to be unclean. And so we see uh, Daniel's very clear goal here. I want to preserve holiness. I want to fight for holiness in my life. And all the more, uh, this word resolved in the Hebrew, it, it actually reads literally, uh, Daniel set out in his heart. Try to think back to a time when, when you were so, for better and worse, stubbornly, you know, just set. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this. I'm going to say this or whatnot. And, and, and so we, we take all the, the good of that sort of just being anchored. And so here we see that Daniel, he's set in his heart. That's what the English translation means when it says resolved. He was set in his heart. Now, this is important because we're going to back up a little bit um, to verse 7. And we see here that the chief of the eunuchs, uh, just to begin to understand what's going on, just think of the king as, say, like the president, CEO. uh, And then this is the C-suite. Okay, you could think of the chief of the eunuchs as part of the C-suite, one of the, the chief, you know, eunuch officer, right? The chief, uh, maybe knowledge officers or, or whatnot. So he's high up, and the chief of the eunuchs gave, and so this word "gave" is actually the same word that Daniel uses about his heart to be resolved. Uh, you'll see in a second, "shum," that's the Hebrew word. It's the same word. In the English, it's translated differently, but in the Hebrew, it's, it's the exact same word. So Daniel's making a point here. You see Nebuchadnezzar, or sorry, chief of the eunuchs, trying to set something on Daniel. And here it was, these secular names, these uh, Babylonian names. And Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. And, and sorry, and that word called is actually the same word. It's not actually to name. It, it's, and this would read literally, and Daniel... He set the name Belteshazzar. And then, to make a real contrasting point, to really make the point, the culture's trying to set something on me. Twice before in verse 7. But Daniel, no, I'm going to set in my heart to keep following God the way that I know he's calling me to. So hopefully this helps. I know this literally just looks like, you know, the expression, it's all French to me, okay? It's all Hebrew to you, I get it. But I just want you to see it. And the chief of the eunuchs, showed them names. He tried to set something on them, and he set Belteshazzar on him. But Daniel was set in his heart that he would not defile himself. And so Daniel is deliberately countering the culture in the way that he knows to in that moment. So Daniel understood, I want you to be able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New. Daniel understood what Peter meant by, therefore, this was last week's passage, therefore, preparing your minds for action. This is Peter's way of saying, be resolved in your heart. Be intentional in your thoughts as you head out to the day, as you're about to do relationship with whoever it is. Again, just whatever situation you find yourself, be intentional. Don't be reactive, but proactively, preemptively, just think through for yourself, what is your compass? What are your morals? What is your motivation? What are your means? And so Daniel understood what Peter meant by preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, and that for us, um, and Peter specifically, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. So, one way to think of this very practically is that the fight for holiness, it starts with this resolvedness. And resolvedness, as we're to understand from Daniel's story, it, it's really about, and for Daniel, the heart and mind is one. It's about having a clear heart, a clear thought. The fight for holiness starts with intentional thinking. So, self. Reflective question uh, Do you go into each day with an intentional resolvedness to be a set apart Christ follower? If you're into, and I don't, I'm not bringing this up in a, in a, in a critical way or whatnot. If you're into self help or those journals these days, like the Best Self Journal uh, that help you, and they're popular because. They try to help you organize your day, to be intentional, to have a clear goal and to go after it and to not be just pinballed by uh, changing circumstances and, and to just be reacting all day. Look, if, if, if the world is getting that, the, the wisdom of that, the goodness of that, how much more should the Christ follower have that kind of intentionality? I'm going to intentionally live out my Christ-centered motivation, my Christ-centered, my gospel-informed meaning of work and life, morals and values that come from just a long study of Scripture, just an ongoing, lifelong journey of studying Scripture and trying to learn more of what God's counsel and will is. And I'm going to live intentionally by means, meaning my conduct, my tone, my choice of words and intentionally live out a Christ centered Christ honoring means. Do you go into each day with this intentional resolvedness to be set apart as a Christ follower? Well, next, <clears throat> I think Daniel wants us to see, I think he would want us to see that the pursuit of holiness it requires a spirit and scripture-saturated conscience. Conscience, okay? Resolvedness, really, it's a fruit of something more, something deeper, something bigger, and it's, it's our conscience. Now, your conscience, you need to understand, it's only as good as your truth set. Okay? Easy, obvious example. A, a murderer. If their only operating truths are, for example, revenge and greed, okay? Those motives, uh, strong enough in one person's heart, easily get them to the place of committing that act of murder. And with a clear conscience, right? It's not until you throw into his or her truth set, for example, say, the dignity of life, or the goodness of forgiveness and healing, then a conscience begins to become torn. So a good conscience is only as good as your truth set. So that's why we're saying the pursuit of holiness requires a spirit and Scripture-saturated conscience. Now, where do we see this in Daniel? First, I want you to see that he's operating by a certain conscience. Because, let's go back to verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, why would this uh, offend Daniel's conscience? Now, to be clear, the word for defile here in the Hebrew is not the same word that's used in the Mosaic law. Where there are all these laws, these food laws and ceremonial laws and things that will make you clean and unclean. The word for defile here that Daniel chooses and Daniel, I am confident he knew the law inside and out. And if he wanted to make a point to use the same Hebrew verb from Moses' law about him not wanting to be defiled, I'm pretty certain he would have. And so the word here is ga'al. But the word for defile in the Mosaic law is tama, which specifically has a religious tone uh, in the Mosaic law. So the king's food. Some people argue, well, maybe David or sorry, Daniel didn't want to defile himself because he didn't want to eat foods that were forbidden in the law. But then why the wine? Wine is not forbidden in Moses' law. Perhaps then some people think he didn't want to eat food sacrificed to idols because maybe the king's food was sacrificed to idols first. And Paul deals with something similar some 500, 600 years later. Uh, in his letters to the church in Corinth. But who's to say that the vegetables that he ended up eating weren't sacrificed as well? I'm trying to get you to see that. This is not a dietary law issue here. This is not Daniel wanting to prevent himself to be defiled according to the law per se. Well, then some say, then maybe his rejection of the king's food and wine was symbolic To show that he's not loyal to the king, the Babylonian king. But even Daniel's alternate diet, then, the vegetables and the water, it's still a government issue, as one commentator says very aptly. So it's not necessarily symbolic rejection. And the best explanation I uh, came across in in just preparing for the sermon, uh, and several commentators uh, agreed on this see, it was about conscience. Beyond God's law, it was a conscience thing. Now, let me try to explain a little bit more. You see, going back to this, the culture trying to set itself on Daniel, this was a traumatic, like Daniel and his four and all the other Israelites that were deported, they had experienced terrible trauma up to this point. I mean, first, their motherland is invaded. They're ripped from their families. They're exiled. And now the culture is trying to set new names on them. I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel and the three were actually even made eunuchs, literally made eunuchs, meaning the physical, painful, uh, just uh, emasculating procedure done to them. It's prophesied earlier in in the Chronicles, and just logically it makes sense. Why would they be under the chief of the eunuchs? And eunuchs were typically the ones in the king's court with the knowledge, the intelligent ones, and often they were made eunuchs so that they wouldn't mess with the king's harem. Now, we don't know for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel even had to undergo that trauma. And we see in his character that he was very courageous, in the best sense, a man. And if he was made a eunuch, to have a feminism come over him. I'm trying to show you that Daniel here, the, the, the culture was just pounding at him. And so the commentators, and I tend to agree with them, now he comes to point. Look, I've tried to have the best attitude here. I'm trying to work with in this system and figure out how to be a Yahweh follower and continue to be holy as God is holy. And then came just a final line, just a line in the sand. I I I can't go beyond this. And he stood his ground. So all this to say. You know, when it comes to especially conscience and Christian conscience, um, COVID definitely drew this out a lot. And probably, I mean, bad to just guess, like 90% of churches across the world and different consciences. And, and so it's not a black and white thing here. It's not just simple, you know, three step rules that we all sort of follow and fall in line with. The, the, the Christian journey, truly an aspect of it, is, is wrestling. Taking what we see in God's Word and doing our best, being faithful to God's Word and wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. But certainly at some point, as you're in relationship with God and in submission to Scripture and staying in community, bouncing off all your thoughts and wrestling with your church community, we see Daniel here coming to point in the pursuit of holiness that becomes a point of conscience. And so be aware of that. Be sensitive to that. That there's, there's this maybe give and take, if you will, this, this dynamic relationship with God and trying to figure things out as you go along. But what that still means, though, is that the pursuit of holiness, hope you'll see this with me next, does not isolate you from the world. Because one easy way would be, this, my conscience can't take it any longer. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to, whatever, become a nun and just isolate myself from the world, try to pursue holiness in this bubble. But Daniel, we see, he was considered righteous, remember, as a conclusion of his life, as a summary of his life. The pursuit of holiness does not isolate you from the world. Daniel doesn't retreat. He figures out how to live out his faith within the system. And so now we begin to see some real examples of Daniel's wisdom and uh, sagacity. And so therefore, Daniel, he asked, he goes first, the person in the C-suite goes right up to the top. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. To try to live according to his conscience. And so first, as a pastoral encouragement, I know increasingly, especially living and working in Toronto, you're going to be faced with even moral dilemmas. You you might be working at a company that wants you to um, sort of even dial up your support for certain causes and whatnot, go against your conscience. And so we see here with Daniel that his approach is, is first he asked, He tried to start up, I think we can fairly say that he tried to start up a a reasonable dialogue with the right people. And I want you to be encouraged uh, and to find confidence and to find find courage uh, with connecting the dot to even verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 in the New Testament. That if you are tested or tempted. That God will always provide a way out so that you could stand up under it. Hope in that. Hold on to that. Now, just to see how Daniel's wisdom and savvy, maybe even a little bit of street smart, uh, played out. Well, first, let me ask the pastoral question then. Do you wrestle with, generally, what it means to be an exilic Christ follower then? Like Daniel, I think Daniel, what Paul describes in Colossians 4, uh, it, it's descriptive of Daniel too. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, meaning pointing to life and solutions to keep preserving, to bring about as much life as possible, as opposed to just joining the toxic complaining party in whatever situation you find yourself in so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Or Paul, as he says differently, but similar idea in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world and its patterns, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve. Meaning, going back to the whole talk about conscience, it's not black and white right away. It it, it requires wrestling. Wrestling, take all of what you know of God's word and to figure out how to apply that. that. That's the mark of a maturing Christ follower. To really wrestle, take God's word, what you know of it, and, and to ask, where, where do I fit in the story and how do I apply this to my everyday life? And to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. And so let's see how this plays out. Now first, as he therefore asked and began this conversation, I love how one commentator put it, you just see hidden and just popping up just little glimpses here and there in Daniel's story, the profound backdrop, which is God's grace. And just in this little phrase, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God gave. And that's a telling of God's undeserved, kind help. That it's his grace really in the backdrop of everything. So Christian, first, let's pause there and and let's not let this be lost on us. The hope is that God is watching over you. And all the more in Christ, how much more is God's favor and compassion for you in Christ? In Christ. We're now God's unconditional love, his covenantal love, because of this new covenant that's sealed once and for all in Christ. How much more is his favor and compassion for you? And so to have the, the confident perspective that no matter what is going on, God's grace is there. God's grace is there. Lord, show me where you're trying to give in this way, like you did to. Daniel. And I think it it should be a prayer of every Christian. Lord, in Christ, grant me favor. Grant me your favor and compassion in the sight of blank. Whatever circumstance, whatever uh, relationship you need that with, to look to God for that grace. Because how much, all the more is that grace there for you and me, that favor and compassion in Christ. I hope you lean into the Father's love that way for you. And so as Daniel seeks to figure out how to be a witness within this system, you see God giving favor and compassion. Now, the favor and compassion here first is that he doesn't get beheaded immediately. Because as the chief of the eunuchs explains, look, Daniel... I get it. If I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, maybe this is what's going on in the eunuch's mind, the chief of the eunuch's mind and heart. I can't imagine what you've been through to come to this point. But if I take your request to the king as is, there's a real possibility that I will get, lose my head for it. And so the fact that the chief of the eunuchs doesn't just you know, nip it in the bud there or have Daniel you know, just straight taken to the king, and